Hey, real quick, let's hear a word from our awesome sponsors who make this show possible. Then we'll get back to the episode. This episode of 1232 is sponsored in part by Oasis Family Media and its family of companies including Oasis Audio, Enclave Publishing, and Sky Turtle Press. Publishers of the forthcoming epic Edmund Spencer's The Fairy Queen. Rendered in modern prose by Rebecca K. Reynolds and illustrated by Justin Girard. For more information, visit fairyqueen.com. That's fairyqueen.com. Or find the link in the description below. Hello, 1232 listeners. This is Callie Sue, and I'm excited to tell you about Dramafy, the ultimate platform for creators and fans of audio dramas. With oodles of genres, hundreds of shows, and thousands of episodes, Dramafy is your go-to streaming service exclusively for family-friendly audio dramas. Whether you're a devoted listener or a creator of a family-friendly masterpiece, Dramafy has something for you. And guess what, 1232 listeners? You can now enjoy 1232 on Dramafy. Just go to dramafy.com forward slash 1232. That's D-R-A-M-A-F-Y dot slash 1232 and get started for free. Happy listening. Chapter 11 Time was not a frequenter of the dungeon. Hours, even days, could have gone by with no beginning and no end. An agitating sound woke Flint up. He could hear Rona's voice and the sound of... Water? The dungeon cell, still completely black. If I ever see either of those men again, I'm going to pound the hell out of them. And then I'm going to throw them into a hole in the ground and see how they like it. See how they like getting whacked on the head. Flint heard her murmuring along with a shuffling noise. It sounded as if she were trying to dig. He could still hear the water and realized it must be coming in because the floor where he sat was now soggy. If Flint only knew what a sorry, selfish idiot he is. I wish I could tell him to his face, the mother- She broke off into choice explicit words and began again more audibly. Taff and I would never have been drugged through this Mud plopped into Flint's lap from Rona's digging. She continued. He could have stayed away from me. Let me have the stupid car. She was still excavating. But no, no, he had to protect his interests. And now I'm the one rotting in some weirdo's version of hell. Rona went on, pawing into the soft mud. I'm going to get the heck out of here, and when I do, I'm going to disappear. I'll go to some beach somewhere. I'll forget all of this ever happened. Flint had never heard Rona talk this much in his whole life. He prudently stayed quiet, listening to her rant about him. I shouldn't expect her to feel any different about me. But he couldn't be quiet indefinitely, because the water on the cell floor was now a standing puddle pouring in from the grate and the ceiling, making sitting very uncomfortable. Rona just kept talking and digging, sloshing water away from her mud hole. Flint couldn't see her. He could only hear her. When he stood up, he gave himself away. The digging noise stopped. Flint held his breath. If he stayed real quiet, she might not see him. He took a step to the side, but that turned out to be his undoing. He hollered as he stepped under the stream of cold water flowing from the grate above. The next thing he knew, he was on his back in the puddle that was their cell, with Rona's hands on his throat. She was screaming at him and shaking him, slamming his head on the ground and splashing muddy water all over both of them. It's me, Flint. Ah, watch out for my uh, glasses. 
It was a mistake to identify himself. He reached up and grabbed his glasses off his face before Rona got violent. I know, Flint! You rotten son of a- Flint's hands pushed into Rona's face. She leaned back out of his reach and continued. I'll teach you to get me involved in your stupid time-traveling schemes. She sunk her knee into Flint's ribs and slapped his face. But he took advantage of her not being able to see and blocked the next blow. He thought he might not survive her tantrum when, suddenly, she went flying off of him and began screaming bloody murder. <laughs> Something grabbed my leg. Rona's breathless voice cracked. What was that? Are there more people in here? Rona said, still in a high-pitched panic. Flynn's heart was trying to escape his chest. If time travel was real, then monsters were too. If it scared Rona, it scared him. They found each other in the dark, and Rona gripped his arm so tight, he felt he might lose circulation. Flynn, what was that? I don't know. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's just us in here. He responded. Pretty sure? You're pretty sure? Rona's voice sounded like it was stretching and about to snap. Flint could feel her trembling. He coughed up mud and water. He was trying to clean his glasses and set them firmly on his face in an attempt to see, though it would not make a difference with the absence of light. The incoming water slowed to a drip, which hopefully meant it was a runoff from rain and not some sort of inhumane torture. This made neither of them feel better about being locked in the tiny cell with a potential monster. If there's anyone in here, show yourself! Flint called out. Show yourself? That's the best you can do? Rona whispered to Flint, then said, Come out or I'll kill you! That was better? Flint whispered back to her, but neither got a response. Instead, they heard a voice coming from someplace near the floor. In the cell next to you. Hello there. I say hello. The voice sounded close, but muffled. Rona was recovering and briskly replied to the mysterious voice, this time with a lower pitch. Who are you? How'd you get in here? I'm not in there, I'm in here. I can reach through your hole. The hole you were digging. See? They could hear a light slapping noise from his arm hitting the mud on their side of the cell wall. Flint bent down and felt for the arm, sliding his hand along the side of the wall for a reference to the hole. Ah, I touched it. He jumped back. Rona had to do it now to make sure. She felt a forearm sticking out of the hole and felt down to a wrist and then a hand. When she felt the skin of the hand, it grabbed hers and pulled her down so that half her arm was on the other side. She could hear his voice very close to her face. Get me out of here. Then laughter filled the other dungeon cell. <laughs> Rona cried out and pulled back, wrenching her wrist free and scrambling to the opposite wall. Flint could feel the panic radiating from Rona, even though he still couldn't see her. It was hard for him too, but he had a few hours head start on getting used to the whole dark cell thing. Rona still had to come to terms with her worst fear, being locked up. On top of that, there was a nutcase in the next room, and she was locked in with the one person she never wanted to see again in a million years. This was not a recipe for inner peace, but there was nothing Flint could do about it, and talking to her certainly would not make her feel better. What, what do you want from us? Flint asked the voice, squatting down to hear him better. Flint, what are you doing? Don't talk to the hand, it's crazy. Rona's warning made Flint want to laugh, but he held it in. He decided instead to reassure her. Rona, 
He can't get to us, okay? Yeah, tell that to my leg. Rona knew she was being ridiculous, but she couldn't seem to regain control. Flint almost let his laughter out, but he chose otherwise. The stranger next door, however, was hysterical with laughter, shouting something about not talking to crazy hands, but talking to legs instead. Excuse me, sir. Uh, are, are you a good guy or uh, a bad guy? Flint tried to get the man's attention, but he was still laughing. Flint gave up. He found his sister and sat next to her. They were both too cold not to capitalize on each other's warmth. This is bad. Rona was trying to get a handle on her fear. I've got to get out. There has to be a way out. In a crisis, Rona differed from her brother. He reflected, but she reacted. If she didn't do something, she would explode. They heard footsteps and voices outside the dungeon cell. They could see light peeking through the tiny cracks in their door. Flint and Rona sat still and quiet, listening. Meanwhile, their neighbor went nuts, banging on the door and yelling. Outside, Rhaegar, the Enchantress's knight and right-hand man, came down the stone stairs with a torch and approached the stranger's prison. He held the torch close to the door and looked through the slot. The stranger spoke first. Come to make sure I have not escaped, Rhaegar. Glad to see you taking your duties so seriously. The prisoner's tone dripping with sarcasm. Mm, you never know. One day you may come all the way down here just to find me gone. You'd miss me, wouldn't you? Rhaegar grunted and peered <sighs> through the crack into Rona and Flint's cell. You would have to rescue your poor brother if he lives. Rhaegar's coolness was syrupy, and he made Rona even more claustrophobic. Taunting me with lies, are you? That befits a man of your status. The prisoner responded. Rhaegar leaned into the lunatic's cell. Quiet, or you won't get your table scraps, you Christian dog. <laughs> Rhaegar moved over and looked into the Thatcher's cell again. Rona and Flint squinted as the light intruded their tiny black space. Rhaegar raised an eyebrow with the muddy pair and turned away. They heard footsteps on the stairs as the knight gave an order to another soldier. Tell the Enchantress they are indeed from the future. No reason to keep them alive. They seem completely useless, brainless rats. Their footsteps died away. After a few minutes had passed, Flint couldn't help his curiosity. Excuse me, mister, what was that all about? As their eyes adjusted to the gloom of the dungeon more quickly this time, they could now see. The stranger answered his question. Zoreal persecutes those that remain faithful to the Christ. And so Rhaegar taunts me. They believe they can break my faith by twisting my mind. How little they know of the power and faithfulness of God. Nothing can separate me from his love. No power on earth or in heaven can sever me from my God. I will not be moved, for he is my fortress my hiding place. I run to him when I am troubled. I will not forsake his ways, not for any transient thing. I labor and wait for things that are unseen, not for the things that are seen. His passionate speech disturbed Flint. Rona listened, horrified. Flint interrupted him. So how long have you been in here? 686 days and five hours. Oh. 
Flint couldn't think of another question. Both he and Rona were thinking Rhaegar sounded more sensible. How does he know how many hours he's been in here? Rona whispered to her brother. He shrugged. I have received God's promise that he will restore his land. He will defend us and come to help us throw off the yoke of this oppressor. The stranger broke off, coughing wildly, and for a minute, Flint wondered if something had happened to him. But the man was all right. In fact, he started singing. It was a hymn, Flint guessed, but it was one he had never heard. The man had a pleasant voice, but this did not detract from how bizarre it all was. Yeah, I think Rona's right. That guy's crazy. He decided. Even though there was now a very dim light from somewhere above, Rona was on her last nerve and couldn't take another second of the singing. She got up and started pacing faster and faster. Flint stood up so as not to get stepped on. Rona's mind was running at fever pitch, and Flint could tell she was about to blow. Rona raised her fist to hit the wall, but Flint grabbed her arm. She jerked it away from him, and then, exhausted, she sighed and slumped her proud shoulders. What are we gonna do, Flint? I cannot stay in here next to this singing crackpot, and I cannot tolerate this tiny space. Well, um, we can pick the lock. All we need is a pin or something small. Flint's voice trailed off as he turned out his pockets. Oh, brilliant. Good one, genius. No wonder you're such a star. Yeah, sure. We'll just turn out our pockets and voila. Just like the movies, we'll find a... Rona pulled a pin out of her pocket, and her voice softened in amazement. Pen. Wait, that might work. Flint grabbed it out of her hand and went to the door. No matter how hard he tried, his arm did not fit through the slot. Here, let me. I doubt you'd even know how to do it. My hands are smaller. No, I think I could do it if I just uh, position it just uh, right. Flint grunted and sighed as he twisted his arm and tried with all his might to make it go through the narrow opening to reach the lock. Rona rolled her eyes. The singing had stopped. The stranger had his face up to the muddy hole, trying to see what they were doing. Flint, at last exasperated, let Rona try. He backed away and sat down beside the hole. The stranger addressed him, giving Flint an abrupt start. You remind me of someone I knew. You have a voice like my good friend, John Thatcher. The stranger waited for Flint to respond. Flint, however, was struck dumb, not knowing which question to ask first. The stranger continued. If it had not been for him, for his steadfastness and his courage, we would surely have lost all. A man of great understanding and faith. He was the first to introduce me to the scriptures. I owe much to Brother John. You speak in his manner. Where do you come from? Before answering, Flint laid down face first on the floor so he could see through the small gap. The man's face, to Flint's surprise, fit in the hole and he was gazing right into Flint's. All that could be perceived in the light, however, two rows of teeth and the man's dirty beard that hid the rest of his features. The deranged prisoner grinned eagerly up at Flint. Um, where are we exactly? For a second, Flint lay there acutely aware that he had failed to pinpoint where they were, or rather, when they were in history. He knew they must be in Britain, and they must be in the past. But that was not enough to go on. You are in Castle Brecon in Brecknockshire. But you must also be from the future. Yeah, yes, from the future. 
Hey, uh, what can you tell me about my, uh, about John Thatcher? Where is he? Is he doing okay? I confess, I know not his fate. What is your name? Uh, my name is Flint, uh, Flint Thatcher. This is Rona. You are Brother John's children, are you not? He spoke often of you. Flint didn't know what to say to that. Dad is alive? Uh, Dad's here? I have to get out of here. I have to find him. Flint raised up off the floor and pressed in over Rona's shoulder. How's it coming? Well, my arm is stuck in a door while I'm holding a pen that's stuck in a lock, and I can't breathe because my ribs are broken, buddy. How's it coming with you? Rona said this with rhythmic emphasis, her voice biting. Well, maybe if I do this... Ugh. Flint kicked the door. Nothing happened. Hey, Einstein, in case you didn't notice, this is a solid oak door with some macho iron hinges. I don't think a scrawny bookworm is going to kick it open. Rona angrily worked on the lock. Well, let me try to... Flint put both hands against the door and pushed. At the same moment, Rona heard the lock click. With Flint's force, it flew open, swinging Rona by the arm and throwing Flint out of the cell. His momentum brought him to the ground with a thud. While Flint dusted himself off, Rona pitched a fit about getting her arm out of the door. After a lot of jerking and whining, she got it free. Let's go. She took off up the staircase, bound for the nearest torch, with Flint not far behind. But he stopped. What about him? Flint asked Rona as she reached on tiptoe for the torch. He's in here for a good reason, probably. We don't need a lunatic to help us get caught again. But the stranger called out after them. Flint, Rona, you do not know the way out of here. You do not know the changing of the guard. I can be of use to you. Free me, and as soon as we are outside the castle wall, I will go my way. I promise to get you that far. Rona took a few steps back down the stairs. How about you just tell us what we need to know? Flint sent her a questioning glance. No. Release me or be captured again. That is the choice before you. Rona looked at Flint. Well, it was worth a try. Then to the stranger. Okay, fine. Rona worked his lock with the pin, and it sprang open much faster than their door. The prisoner took his first step across the threshold, thinking of the last time he had crossed it almost two years ago. Though neither Flint nor Rona could have known it, he was a completely different man than the one thrown in prison all that time ago. Flint held the torch up to his face, and Rona was struck by his eyes, even in such a filthy, hairy face. I won't forget that pair of eyes for sure, she thought. Two, how strange it was that the man wore a cantankerous grin. He took the torch from Flint and led the way. Hey, psst, real quick, before we get back to the show, let's hear a word from our awesome sponsors. Is your tea in the cupboard boring? Is the coffee you buy from the grocery store expensive and crappy? It's time you use our promo code 1232 for 32% off your first order of quality tea and coffee from AtticusTea.com. That's 1232 for 32% off your first order at AtticusTea.com. 1232 is sponsored by Phil Bob Borman Art.
a nationally collected skyscape artist, mastering the shape and color of western skies and towering cloudscapes, inspiring viewers to look up at the glory of God all around us. Phil Bob Borman is represented by Insight Gallery, Fredericksburg, Texas, Legacy Gallery, Scottsdale, Arizona, Caudry Gallery in Whitefish, Montana, and the Museum of Western Art. Contact for available paintings or commissions at philbobbormanfineart.com. And now, back to the show. They left the torch behind once the moonlight and the narrow windows was enough and crept down a corridor. Around the corner, there hung a large, heavy tapestry. The stranger was first, Rona second, and Flint came in behind, worried that the guards would come up behind him. Adrenaline pulsed through his body, and he felt as if he were about to levitate off the ground if something didn't happen soon. Rona, on the other hand, was in her element. Her training had kicked in, and her only wish now was for a sidearm. Survival, a powerful instinct, had her body hot, energetic, and primed for action. The stranger stopped and crouched down. Rona made herself flat against the wall. At that moment, a lazy guard marched around the corner. Rona sprang into action. She shot her arm around his neck and locked him in a firm chokehold. And as he slumped down, she sent her elbow into the back of his neck, knocking him out cold. Flint stood stock still, feet planted and fists up, like a posing British boxer. They looked around for the stranger, but he had disappeared. Rona and Flint exchanged a worried glance as they heard more men coming. Quickly, take his feet. The stranger popped up out of nowhere, pulling back the heavy tapestry to reveal a small tunnel in the wall. He helped Flint drag the expired guard in. As Rona swung the tapestry back in place, she closed a little wooden door. They waited in breathless silence as a group marched by them. When they were gone, Rona looked around and squinted toward the moonlight at the end of the tunnel. The stranger took the guard's sword and began creeping towards the moonlit opening. What's next? She asked herself, but there was no simple answer. She and Flint blindly followed the dirty prisoner towards the fresh air. Neither had dried off from their earlier drenching, undisturbed by the unsavory water dripping on their backs. Just outside the tunnel, Glowing willow branches swept the ground in a mellow midnight song. A slight breeze revealed a moon-bathed river below. We must wait here for another hour for the changing of the guard on the third watch. Then we can make our way across the green without being noticed. The man sat down and rubbed his eyes, letting the sword prop against his knee. Flint and Rona sat down, and Flint felt he could actually breathe again. Who are you? He asked ready at last to give in to curiosity and hoping for a straight answer, one he could comprehend. He half expected the man to say he was a monk or some kind of cult-like leader. I am Cardigan, son of Llewellyn of Lorworth, the last Prince of Wales. Flint only nodded in response, not familiar with Welsh history details. So how long have you been in here? Cardigan glanced down at his wrist, reading the face of a very familiar watch before answering. 686 days and six hours, he said calmly. Your father gave me this. Rona shrank back from the light in angered bewilderment. Well, I'm done with this nightmare of a Renaissance fair. Flint? She raised her eyebrows. 
You better get us out of here before I make history out of you. I'm not leaving without Dad, and no one knows for sure if we can get back at all. Theoretically, it hasn't been worked out. The only way to travel through time at all is to be a precise distance from that stone in a particular combination with the right amount of anchor points, too. Any other scientific facts you need to surprise me with? Because I think I've had about all the theoretical time travel I can take. Rona's green eyes flashed at Flint, who did his best to ignore her. It was impossible to carry on a heated argument in a whisper, so Rona dropped it. They sat in silence for a while until Rona piped up. What about Taff? What happened to him? Flint looked from her face to Cardigan's, and seeing they were both interested, he wanted to tell the complete story. Well, what happened was... Get to the point, Flint. Rona arched her left eyebrow. Flint consented, realizing he didn't have the juice to go up against her now. He delivered the short version. If he wasn't dead, uh, they said they would chain him in the tower. That means he is a valuable prisoner. One they mean to torture, a ransom. Who is this man, Taff? Cardigan asked, searching their faces with his shining eyes. He's just a guy that came through the, whatever, the stone with us. He's my coworker, or he was. How hard would it be to get him out of there? If he's still alive, that is. It is too difficult without an army, for the tower is in the very center. This fortress is too strong and too closely guarded. I give you my word. We will do all we can to free your friend. Cardigan shifted his seat. Let's get out of this tunnel. When we are in the forest, I will tell you more. He bent over and crawled out, holding the sword by his side. Rona and Flint read each other's mind. She didn't have any idea what was out there or where the deranged prisoner was leading them. Looking into Flint's eyes, she saw he was afraid of the unknown as well. Both were short on faith. Rona took a deep breath. Well, we can't stay here. She roused herself and slipped out of Flint's view through the opening. Now alone, Flint fought against his will to remain where he was. Flint took his glasses off and tried to clean them. Not because he needed to. It was a valiant effort to control his nerves. It took every ounce of his courage to venture into the night. He had psyched himself up when Rona unexpectedly poked her head inside. Flint, come on, she said in a loud whisper before she disappeared again, nearly giving him a heart attack. It jolted him just enough to get moving. Once outside, they were under the willow and stacked up shrubs. Cardigan made hand signals for them to follow him one at a time. Then he scrambled down a steep bank, crouching low, doing his best to blend into the surroundings. He picked his way across a shallow river and then across an open grassy field. Rona waited about 30 seconds and made her dash into the open, leaving Flint once again alone. Flint had never been in a situation like this and no amount of imagination could have mentally prepared him for it. He glanced back at the tunnel entrance searching the depths of its dark mouth, almost wishing he could just run back in there. But he jumped down into the riverbed and lunged into a full-blown run into the field, like a startled rabbit. His heart pounded and his feet flew across the ground, barely touching it. He drew in deep breaths of cool night air and hardly felt the exertion. He could have run for miles, 
but it was just a quick sprint to the tree line where Rona flagged him down to keep him from crashing through the woods and making too much noise. He couldn't make out what Cardigan was saying. He felt woozy and lightheaded. Flint stood next to Rona, doubled over with his hands on his knees, heaving. Cardigan put a hand on his shoulder and said something, but he wasn't listening. He was just trying to keep from passing out. When Rona and Cardigan moved down to a creek bed, Flint was right with them, operating on autopilot. Just follow Rona. Keep your eyes on Rona. Don't let her get too far ahead. Keep your eyes on Rona. Zodial's castle stood off upon a forested hill with the Brecken beacons just beyond. Mountains that stood together, overlooking the lower hills, rivers, and forests of the countryside. The view from the stronghold took in the town of Brecken, but not even the best watchman could have seen through the weather that morning. The beacons were covered in clouds, and a mist lay over the town as Cardigan, Rona, and Flint came to the forest edge. It had been a very early morning when they made their escape, and now the dawn had arrived unannounced, its light merely turning the darkness into a gray oblivion of mist and rain. They waded waist-deep in the chill waters of the Usk River and fought their way through rugged undergrowth, climbing and descending, stumbling over jagged stones. They had gone down the river for two miles to cover their tracks, and then had come back to the edge of town on forgotten forest paths. Because of the rain, their footprints would vanish by the time Zoriel's men came in pursuit. Cardigan halted and signaled for them to wait in the undergrowth. Rona and Flint both were soaked to the bone, and though glad to stop moving, they were miserable, sitting there getting cold. After what felt like hours, Cardigan dashed back through the pouring rain and motioned for them to follow him. Rona's leather jacket was wet through and heavy, so much so that it was like she was carrying weights on each shoulder. Her thick red hair, normally straight, was back to its natural state of uncontrollable frizzy curls, thanks to all the moisture. Flint's hair didn't fare any better. Though it was a nice tight cut, it frizzed as well. She hurried, but not fully conscious, her mind and body not quite working at the same rate. The blows to the head she had received had done more than make her bleed, and now she dealt with the fogginess that came from a mild concussion. At this point in her life, and with the recent events, Rona had stopped believing in things like peace or rest. She had not experienced either in so long that to her, it didn't even exist. I just hope I can take more of what this crazy life is throwing at me, because I don't feel like I can. She struggled down the narrow footpath that was covered in water, watching Cardigan's footsteps splash in front of her. She heard Flint fall behind her, and in spite of how she felt, she stopped and turned back to help him. I don't know why I do this for you. It's not like you'd do it for me. She put his arm around her shoulders, and started down the muddy track again. You owe me big, buddy. Flint may have been thin, but he was still too heavy for Rona to carry. Most of his life had been spent avoiding physical exertion. Flint was in no shape to run a mile, much less go 72 hours on one meal and three hours of sleep. Rona lost sight of Cardigan, and a clap of thunder shot her senses full of fear. I 
don't know where we are. I'm unarmed. I don't even know where we're headed, and now that dirty prisoner just left me here. She stopped and looked up, letting rain pelt her in the face. <sighs> Why me? She said to the emptiness beyond the rain clouds. Rona's thoughts were fading in and out. One minute she was thinking strategically. The next minute she would study the stream of rainwater soaking into her boots. My life sucks. Her mind went down the list of people that she wanted to blame for where she stood now. Soaked, cold, ankle deep in mud, and hunted by psychopaths with swords. Oh, if I hadn't helped Flint. If I just hadn't listened to Taff. I never should have believed him. I never should have trusted him. Or I guess it's really all my fault for trusting them. For needing them. I don't need them. I'm done. I'm sick of trying. I quit. She wanted to escape. To get away. And not think about it. Rona denied herself the luxury of a heart, relying on her wit and physical strength. When that let her down, she blamed someone else. Like the downpour she was standing in, all the emotions had to go somewhere. This didn't differ from other times she had been at her lowest. Except now, she couldn't physically fight back. Rona fought back tears as Flint's dead weight pulled on her, making her nerves scream in pain. No amount of effort could have stopped the flood of tears that came. But even then, she hid it with a stone-like expression. Looking at Flint's sagging head, she let go of his arm and let him slide to the ground. She took two steps ahead and collapsed to her knees. Seconds later, she vaguely came to as she noticed herself being lifted off her feet and carried through the rain, through a swelling creek, and then through a door into a place with a fire. Those were the last things she remembered until she woke almost two days later. She looks pretty sleeping, whispered a silvery little voice. Hey, Callie Sue here, writer and director of the show. I hope you and your family are enjoying it. And if so, you need to sign up for the newsletter right now. Follow the link in the description to get behind-the-scenes access, bonus material, and see how you can support the next seasons. Sign up at audio-epic.com and keep wholesome and quality entertainment available to all. Thanks for listening. Stay courageous. You've been listening to Episode 11 of 1232, produced by Rumble Stump Entertainment, written by Callie Sue and Cheyenne Bell, narrated by Callie Sue. Today's voice talents include Robin Cage as Rona Thatcher, Matt Burke as Cardigan, Corey Keller as Flint Thatcher, Jonathan Cook as Rhaegar, and Kaylin Landry as Daffith. This episode was mixed and engineered by Jet Black, featuring James Dillon, Millie Scott, Zach Bryant, and Jeff Spearco performing Static Line. Mastered by Zach Bryant, Nine Moon Mastering. Cover art by Niall C. Grant. This episode was made possible by our generous and incredible supporters through Kickstarter. You know who you are. To our knights, our bards, our Welsh bowmen, wizards and our chieftains, thank you. Continue the adventure in episode 12.